Welcome to Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, and I have with me a very special, very legendary, very local man, bar man, EJ Shiga. Glad to be here. Got to welcome him on here. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, EJ, uh, EJ is a uh, barman. Um, we went over this before. A barman, a legendary person at the bar, handles business. Um, I don't know about how legendary I am, but I am definitely a bar guy, uh, bartender, barman. Barmaid. Barmaid. You're a barmaid. Yeah. A beer yeah. wench. But it's been over the course of like 20 three years yeah so let's let's all right so let's give some background some context to those who don't know what we're talking about here so ej is a bartender at a uh legendary local spot and i can definitely say the word legendary in that sense because we've had you know it's called the steven talk house and it has been a local music hot spot for i don't know three decades now um start 70s right 70 yeah about that yeah and uh you know it's the spot that everybody goes everybody knows the talk house I've been there since 98. I started in the spring of 98. How old were you when you started? I was 17, and I turned 18 there. So, yeah, 17 oh, wow. when I got the and job. And that was legal but at the time. At you the could, time, you yeah, could... I wasn't serving until I was 18. But at that time, yeah, it was just, it was crazy. I was definitely the youngest person there. And it wasn't as um, popular with the mainstream crowd as much. It was a lot of artists and... Uh, Hippie type people, local, just regular local guys, fishermen, and then I think a few of the people that were living in Amagansett realized that like, oh, what a cool place, and would start coming to it, and got busier and busier, and uh, just grew from there. But it was it was it was different back then. It wasn't like before the internet, so no one knew how cool it was. There wasn't social media yeah. saying, "Oh, come to this spot. We, exactly. we look like this," or we, exactly. Right. So like, if you know, Billy Joel showed up one night, you know, only the people that were there really were able to spread the word, you know, and that was face-to-face, being like, oh, my God, I had this magical time, this and that. And there was something special about that back then. Right, right. And that's it's way more intimate now, you know, or, or was way more intimate then than it is now where you have, a, you know, it's packed body-to-body on a Saturday night. But um, For sure. I think the Fridays and Saturday nights, <laughs> as everyone, like, you know, that's what people think of us as, is super packed, lying down the road. But that's really just after 10 o'clock on Friday and Saturday and, you know, it's usually cover bands. The rest of the week and rest of the time, we're trying to host, you know, national acts and like musical guests that do something for the community in terms of actually entertaining like the people that live here. And right. you know, I think those busy nights, you know, define us to people who don't know about the talk house. But for the people who do know, it's about Sunday night reggae with like a band that's super chill that you never would have seen in a room that's not too crowded. It's not the place to be that night or. Even our karaoke night is ridiculous. It gets packed with like local people having a good time. It's super non-judgmental, and I think that you know our establishment like hosts that kind of energy. You know, yeah, hopefully, yeah. So like, I think the Fridays and Saturday nights where it's super busy that people know us for pays the bills for the rest of the time and lets us operate the way we want to without having to, you know, be everywhere everyone else and just you know that's right lose our identity. Right, and I and and obviously, if you lost the identity, then you're then you're no different than any other nightclubby different spot. You know, like that's where you don't want to lose is the identity. You don't want to be, you know, no offense to the Surf Lodge, but you don't want to be that. You know, exactly. you guys want to be so a different. It's so exactly what it is. It's it, but 
you know, us being busy on Fridays and Saturdays, it's like a double-edged sword because we're filling the room with a demographic of people that don't know about the place. And we love to turn everybody on, but we're taking away space. You know, it's, it's kind of like real estate market out here. It's We're taking away space for the people that were already there. But when, when did that transition happen, though? Like, when did you see it kind of erupt? Was it overnight or was it gradual? Did it you happened, see it? It happened with the, in the same movement as summer houses out here. Summer share houses, packing 15 to a house, renting it for the summer. Like that, that move, as it started getting bigger and bigger, impacted the bar. Exactly. Like, you know. Right. And now, um, and now talking about that, like I had uh, Scott Bluedorn on here and we were talking about, um, you know, the housing out here and how everything's changed and obviously how it's gotten dramatic. Um, for locals that are trying to find space now here. Now, he was mentioning, and I, and I know this is a crazy thing to relate to, but he was mentioning that he heard from other artists back in the day, you know, I guess I guess it, during the September 11th time, that's when people really started fluctuating and migrating out to the suburbs. Absolutely. And that's what the artists would do because they didn't feel, you know, as comfortable in the city or maybe they had this kind of phobia like how we kind of do now with COVID and, oh, we don't need to be around people because we want to be secluded. And now, September 11th, after that, it was a huge boom in in terms of like the people really? that, you know, started living out here and then coming out here, just escaping the city harder and harder, you know, and, and I didn't get that cause I was in fifth grade. Right. So I didn't, I didn't see that as a child, you know, I didn't really understand that yet, you For know? Sure. And that's, that's why when I hear it from multiple people now, I'm like, wow, this, that's, you know, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy how that relates directly. For know? sure. Cause I would have never thought that. And also the spaces available for entertainment to happen out here has become limited as real estate's exp- more expensive. So, like, some places can't operate doing what they used to do. You know, like, right. Harbor House in Sag Harbor was this cool little dive bar in the back parking lot. And it, it just couldn't hang on, you know. And, like, so with options, like, depleting just like that, like, it made the talk house more popular because it was the only option. And now there's other places that are popping up here and there, but they're still catering not towards the local crowd or they're catering to, like, the college drunk, you know, 21 to 29 singles crowd. Right. You know, so. Right. So let me backdrop <clears throat> or backlog, I should say, back to the history. Because, okay, so you're, so you're 17, 18. You, you're 17, you get a job at the Talk House. And I remember looking this up and it said you were a cook or a chef. You were the chef of Stephen Talk House from Talk, an article that the uh, star Stephen Talk House used to have an awesome, <laughs> awesome barbecue joint in there. Before Dan Tucker's hot dogs. Before the hot dogs. And, like and mom's dim sum. Dude, they used to have like steaks, lobsters, the whole patio used to have tables. I've seen pictures and like people still come in and like, oh, we used to get the best steaks here and it would just make me laugh. The year I started, they gutted the kitchen out and made it really simplified and they started doing just wraps. They did like sandwich wraps. Right. And like a side of potato salad or a side of potato chips. Um and like just super, super simple shit like that. So I was hired. I actually applied there earlier in the winter in January or something. And the guy was like, yeah, I know I wrote a, I put a ad in the paper, but uh, I'm not really looking for kitchen people or anything. I just, I was looking for more staffing for the spring in terms of like the bar, maybe with security or bartenders. So Peter Honecker, that's when I met him. Said, you know, I don't really have a job for you. Sorry, buddy. I'm like, all right, all right. And, and Peter gave me the pass. Huh? He, Originally? he gave me the pass. But then I was working at where Moby's is now. It used to be the farmhouse. It was a Michael Gluckman. He was managing it. And Chris Chapin, who's a big, 
was uh, the runner there, and he was like, oh, yeah, you should go apply at the talk house. And I applied there. I didn't get the job. Whatever. So months go by. It's the final week of high school. I'm standing outside of East Hampton High School with, like, you know, my buddies. We're hanging out, and all of a sudden, this, like, white, beat-up van, white or blue, I think it was white, pulls up, and right in the front where you're not supposed to park, and Jimmy Lawler pops out of the car and is like, I can see him, like, talking to people. I'm like, who's that guy? You know, whatever. That looks creepy. Like, this van guy just pops out of a car, and it's like, 40-something-year-old man is, like, talking to the kids, like, hey, hey. And apparently he's asking everybody, like, hey, do you know uh, do you know an EJ Shiga? Do you know an EJ Shiga? Like, asking everybody. And then finally someone points in my way. I'm like, uh-oh. Guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, listen, you got to come with me right now. I'm like, what? I'm not getting in your van. It's like old school. No, literally. And then he's like, I'm not getting in your van, bro. And he's like, no, no, no. You applied for a job months ago with Peter Hunter Camp at the Stephen Talk House. But he lost all your contact, which is like so him. And it's so like... <laughs> It's just like, it makes the story even better. And uh, he's like, so you have to come and he wants to talk to you. I'm like, all right, well, can I just give you my phone? Or he's like, no, no, just come with me. I'll get you a ride home. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, fine. And you're 17, so this uh, is yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, I'm This like, would not fly in today's, you know today's era. You know what? I was just like, yo, cool. Jimmy Lawler's a cool dude. And oh, I, I love I knew, him. I knew, I knew that best. his wife was uh, the teacher at the school, so I felt kind of safe. Right. She was my teacher in Spanish, too. Yeah, she was awesome. Uh, Senior Lawler. So uh, I get in the car, get down there, and Peter's like, hey, listen, you know, I had a visceral feeling that, you know, you were supposed to be working here, and he was, like, getting kind of hippie and deep with me, and he's like, I don't really have a job, but we're going to make a job for you. During the day, you're going to help set up, clean the bar. Um, from, like, 6 to 10, you're going to help uh, this lady, Lenore, make the sandwich wraps, and then after that, you're going to bar back and help with, uh, you know, this and that. I'm like, great. This is awesome. And that's how I started the talk house. That's so you know, wild. The, yeah. Custom job made for you. Yeah, man. And then after a while, a couple of months went by. I think the lady who was making the wraps with me had something else to do. So she went out, went parted ways. And then I ended up doing the sandwiches myself. It got to be a pain, a pain in the ass. And then, like, I just was making such better money being a barback so that I was doing barbacking, doing the sandwiches there many hours. But finally, we decided to do 86 food completely out of the talk house because it just wasn't generating enough money for the headaches that, you know, that it right, causes. Right, that food causes, right. And it just was taking up half the walk-in where we could have been putting beer in. It's just really probably the only reason. <laughs> square footage. Yeah. yeah, square footage for what you're making. And right. So we got rid of that, and I just started, you know, by that time I was like 19 or 20, and I remember no one wanted the Sunday night shifts at the talk house. It was like a graveyard shift. You get 15 people that were waiting for the jitney one way or the other. They come in, and it was, like, kind of sad nights, like, winter shift, and I took it, and I was 19, 20, had my own bar, bar shift, and since then, just been behind that bar. So that was it. They took off on a one, one Sunday, one gloomy Sunday, yeah. and never looked back. Yeah, man, but those Sundays where you only meet, like, 15 people, it's, like, therapy sessions. It's sick, dude. You hear about, like, everybody's problems and, like... Or aspirations, or what they're like celebrating. You know, the bar's right. an interesting place like that, where like there's a lot going on. One couple could be over there breaking up, getting a divorce. One couple on the other side could be like just meeting, and you know they're about to go home for the first night. You know, whatever. That's like like as an observer of it, I feel like that's what's. I'm kind of addicted to that at the bars, like watching it the way airports are. You know, like people are coming and going, and you don't know if they're celebrating or if something horrible just happened, and that's why they're going where they're going. You know, like. You know what's funny? I've been to an airport so many times, I've never had that thought. Oh, man. Airports are sick. 
No, I mean, I people watch at airports all the time, but I never had that exact thought of, I wonder where that guy's going. I wonder where that guy's coming from. Fuck. It's like church. Right, though. It's like church for drinkers, bro. It's like you're either celebrating something happy right. or you're like going because you're sad and you you need some hope, you know? It's like... Right. You're working too hard, so you want a vacation. No, exactly. It's, it's a, an escape. It's like you can use it in so many escape. different ways. Right. Who's and, flying every day? Yeah. Business executives. Some, guys, some yeah, people, yeah. you know, but... Exactly. But that's wild that you can... Right. That that, that perspective... And, and it's great that you said it like that because it's very... The, the way that you said it is very easy for everybody else to understand that that kind of that surreal feeling where like you're behind the bar and you're hearing everything. You're the eyes. You know, I, I think of, you know, that made me think of, uh, the breakfast club when he's like, I, I am the eyes and ears of this institution. My oh, friend, yeah, seriously you know? though. And, that, and that's what it is. You but, hear enough, you know, the walls talk after what you're the wall, you yeah, know, but you want to be the wall. You don't, you want to be, you want to create an environment where everyone feels comfortable to have conversations. You know, the talk has, I mean, it's not named that for that reason, but it's a good place for people to, you know, it, I mean, it, it, the name yeah. fits. Exactly. I mean, the name is money. It was briefly. named that before the ownership that I work under. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was a before time yeah. thing. Okay, see, I didn't realize yeah. that. That's amazing. So Stephen Talkhouse uh, was a Native American. Stephen Farrow Talkhouse. Farrow, right, right. And, um, and Farrow's still a big name in like the Shinnecock Indian Reservation. And it's, I believe it's like also part of the Montauk Nation and... Right. But, but he was, you know, he's, the, the reason that people identify with him is that he was a... He walked from, like, he knew all the trails from, like, on the east end, you know, so he can get from one town to the next town. And when you're get, you know, when you're the guy that's moving that much, you, you carry, whether it could be mail, it could be good news, it could be bad news. Hemp. You know? It was cannabis. It could be cannabis. It was cannabis, you know? guys. It was no, hemp. But you, and people always looked at him as, like, almost like I would think of it like an anchor man these days, you know what I mean? Like, the good anchor man, not like. Without getting political, like a good anchor man, like a right, Will Ferrell right, anchor man. Right. That let's be fair to both parties here. We don't like Don Lemon and we don't like Tucker Carlson. Let's throw it out for both. <laughs> they both suck. All right, both of them suck. Just get over it. Swallow your pride. Tucker sucks, and so does Don. Let them go. Let them both go. I'm so glad those are the two you mentioned because they're the two perfect examples of just like getting paid too much money to lie to people every day. I'm, I hate them both with a passion. Sorry. I've sw- what's great is that we've served both at the Stephen Talkhouse. They both tipped underwhelmingly. Get out of here. Both tipped underwhelmingly. And most people that have These a little bit of fame, fame, I feel like they do a little extra just because that, you know, because it might take an extra security guard that was over on the side watching to make sure you were safe or I'm coming over and making sure you're not, no one's bothering you. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like there's a little more service. But like if 20% is normal, they didn't even hit that. And I kind of feel Damn. like, hey, guys. But then I understand Tucker Carlson's like a you know fiscal conservative and oh well let's not get into it but whatever. <laughs> Fuck that! You know how much money that motherfucker makes. Oh, you know who? Fuck you know what? That. I'm allowed to say whatever. That guy so, makes. Yeah, this is uh, church. This is church. Steven Let it Spielberg, out. Steven Spielberg asked me for two margaritas one night, and when he came to watch fucking Steven watch a band, and he was there, and he came up ordered two margaritas. I told him the price. He looked surprised because not because I asked him to pay, but because he forgot that that was a transaction that still occurred. I just feel like he usually has an assistant go up to the bar or has right. some, like a minion go and get it. And he, I was like, yeah, I think at the time it was like eight bucks each. So it was like $16. He's and like, he, wait, but do you, do you know? Who? I saw, saw it with my smile and I'm like, in my head, I'm like. Did you know it was him? Yeah, I knew exactly oh, who it was. Okay. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dude, this guy has gotten so much of my movie money. Like all the allowances <laughs> that I had to go spend on this guy's movies. And some of them were duds. Some of them were awesome. But I don't know you anything, you know? So that is I charged, so true. So I charged him. And I didn't think I was going to, whatever. Um. And he paid me exact change and stiffed me. Wow. But 
I think that's a better story than had he given me the exact, like a $2 tip, you know? That's wild. Yeah, Steven Spielberg. Steven fucking, yo, Steven, you ever going to listen? You know what? You might listen to this because I got some friends that we share. But you know what? I'm not mad at him. No, I'm mad at him. I just don't think he like, I think he's so above that. And not, not saying that that's okay, but like his world is so different where like me asking his tip is like his assistant would just laugh at me and be like, what are you doing? Like, that's Steven Spielberg. (laughs) You just asked him for a tip? Like, No. The tip is go watch my movie, kid. You know, I don't know. Like, oh maybe I owe. Maybe God. I still. Uh, maybe I owe. Maybe him you more. stiffed the movie. No, maybe I owe him more. Oh, like it wasn't enough. Yeah, the movie's worth more than what you. Yeah, paid that's how to see he it. feels. He's like, yo, whatever. Like, oh, you're this age. You saw my movie and it was seven dollars. No, yeah, no, no, dude. It's worth like how 35? many more times have you watched it on TBS? <laughs> you know, or TNT. Yeah. I don't think the people listening understand what kind of like studio you got going on here. This is a makeshift rig shift, baby. This is a makeshift studio. It looks great. It does look it good for what it is. We're gonna we're gonna improve. We're gonna add improvements. There's gonna be a bench over here. We're gonna get a little art that we're gonna feature every week. It's gonna be on a video. So we're gonna have the artist of the week back here that's gonna be behind me. So it's gonna be like a hey, check out this I, new I, artist. Everything in here is exactly what you would think Ryan Sherman has in a room that he does podcasts in. Except <laughs> there is a kickboxing big <laughs> punching bag thing that's in the middle of the room and it's I don't know. So I get yoked, bro. Yeah. Now I might not mess with him. I might not mess with him. He's been working on some combos. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get my MMA on. I'm trying to box one of the Paul brothers, honestly. I'm just trying to get paid. I heard they were taking auditions for bums, trying to swing. And I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be another one of those bums. <laughs> I just, I feel like the, those two guys together are hysterical. And I just need to, you know, work on my game so I can box both of them at the same time. <laughs> big money. Dana White will pay me big time to knock them both out. You know what I'm saying? We'll, we'll get it going. Um, I think Ethan Dayton and Zach Dayton look like the Logan brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do have everything in the room that Ryan Sherman would have in a room. Um, <laughs> he's got a Bill Mara book right next to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas book. It's exactly what I would imagine. <laughs> that's hey, that that's 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 Bill before you know. That's good Bill. That's that's true story by Bill. Um, that was a good book. It was uh, kind of how he got his start in comedy and explains how comedians should have came up back then. And I don't know. It's a really cool read. No. It's not him now who kind of sucks. I can't dismiss the now. fact that you have a New York Times magazine sitting in a, in a stack as well. So I can't skip over that and just point out the funny things. I had that for some, you know, Flash, you know. And then there's high school yearbooks under that, actually. Springs, Osprey. Or no, those are Springs. Those are Osprey Springs yearbooks. So I like to take my old yearbooks, take pictures of my friends, and then, like, like super delayed bully them if that makes sense <laughs> yeah send them some shit they haven't yeah, seen yeah they in just two see decades. something they're like smiling or they said <laughs> there's like a quote under it and just send it back to them like 20 years later I'm like man you were such a tool i can't believe we were friends i don't know i have like a shoebox full of old pictures i liked it back then when it was like you had to print it out it's like you might lose it but like chances are you won't because now I have, like, hard drives sitting in the basement that, like, will never get revived. I don't know where the power is. Well, you were is. caught in a weird era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're in the weirdest era as, I feel like knowing you as a person now, <laughs> you got caught in the weirdest era. Like, you should not be in the era you were in. You should have been, like, an era ahead, almost, or an era behind. Like either kinda, or, dude. Either or you could have fit into the now middle. There's, now there's a cloud. You got screwed on the technology. Yeah, you guys have all your pictures, before, like, yeah. online, probably. Yeah, you They're got screwed in that in a cloud sense. somewhere. Well, my generation was the last one to really get some digital photos in. Like, 
my I didn't get really photos taken of me. My parents had like little digital cameras when we were growing up because they would buy like the cheap ones. It was like a hundred dollars or whatever, and they would last for years. The little cheap, you know, Nikon ones. And uh, that's how I got into photography. Actually, was my parents had cameras all around when I was a kid. They just had like the little cheap digital ones or disposable around the house, and I would just grab them and like run outside and take photos. Dude, they of shit. sold us on floppy disks, <clears throat> like different sizes for different things. <laughs> floppy disks? No, they sold me on that. They sold me on one megabyte of space per floppy disk. Bro, Case Logic filled with CDs. Like, what the fuck? You know Zach Puglisi? Of course. I swear to God, Zach, I know you're going to listen to this. You have, he has an entire books, like the, like the binders you used to put Pokemon cards in when you were a kid. Yeah. He's got like yeah, that, stacks that's, that's of those how, filled with CDs. That's how everyone operated back he, then. He, he, he has an obsession with Walmart DVDs. But dude, keeping cassettes organized in your car, that shit was hard. Organized is the key word. Because didn't, didn't the cars, am I, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't some of the cars have like the slots Dude, chill. For the cassettes? Yes, absolutely. Like, not like when it's playing, like when yeah. it's not playing. No, they like, had like a no. rack built in yes, for the cassette. Did. Or just like, a, yes, 100%. Like the Honda Accord had the rack. Yeah. Is that funny to you? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> we also had roll-up windows. I don't know. I grew up, no, I grew up on the roll-up window because I was too broke in high school to afford a real car. So I got the, like an old S10 Blazer and that thing had roll-up windows. So I definitely know that. But the cassette was out of... I was fortunate to have a dad that's super hippie and into like all this classic rock shit. So he has tons of cassettes. So I grew up like popping a cassette in a thing because that's what we had in my house. We had cassettes, we had CDs, we had, he wasn't into vinyl. We had no vinyl <clears throat> or maybe I was too young, but <clears throat> it's funny now because I have a shitload of vinyl and it's, it's funny how he appreciates it. And that's he doesn't, what, that's what I call a backdoor brag, everybody. Oh, shitload, shitload of vinyls. Shitload of, yeah, now, now I have a shitload of vinyls, but... Uh. It's like a crate. It's not like a... Like, okay, Negro, you know, Luis Cabrera, he's got a shitload of vinyl. That kid's got like eight walls of vinyl. I have a little crate, but I respect it. Back from when I was in... Yeah, from like 98 on, my, like, I was at the talk house all the time, so I didn't... I didn't have to make too much of an effort, but I would go early during the day when I knew there was a good reggae band... And I would go and I would hang out and I'd smoke joints with them. And it was like the coolest, you know, and they'd tell me stories or... And like big reggae bands or like... Yeah, any? exactly. Big reggae bands. But to me, it was just like, oh, these guys that were here last year are back this year. And we smoked last year, so we should smoke this year. You know what I mean? It was, it was like that innocent. I didn't really know how big they were for a few years. Wow. So like this one dude, I, you know, he asked me, no, I get a call from somebody saying, hey, he's coming back. I need you to get, you know, find some weed for him. But you got to find like the best stuff. I'm like, all right, go out of my way, find the best thing I can, which is pretty good at the time, and get it to him. And it's literally like, to me, it's so expensive that it's the type where like weed that you take and you're like, you're very gentle with it and you don't make sure you don't lose any crumbs. The guy just takes like the biggest nug out of it, crushes it in one hand, like with his little, like really long fingernails while looking at me, thanking me and telling me that the manager's going to give me money, which he did and everything was cool. And he crushes it with his one palm, just grinding it. And it's like, there's there's one big stem in there, and he's crushing it, crushing it. And he finally takes it, pulls out a big, long, you know, like, long-style paper from his other pocket, puts the paper on top of his palm with the nug, with all the crushed-up weed, with the stems and all, and just rolls it on his jeans. <laughs> Bro, he rolled the fattest... Like, like almost an eighth joint. 
with one hand with so much yeah. weed spilling off his knee, dude. He dropped it on the left, dropped it on the right, did not pick it up, did not. And no one looked at it. And I'm just sitting there like, dude, that's like my whole night that I could smoke right there. What the fuck? Guys over there rolling up an eighth in his one hand. Yo, and then he went and played pool for the like the whole beginning before he went on stage. And that was Toots and the Maytals, Toots. And that was Toots? That was Toots. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. So if you smoked weed with Toots, you watched him roll joints with one hand on his knee, like with stems sticking out, did not give a fuck, just would relight it, waste a ton of weed. And it, you know what? I kind of feel like it's like overfilling a shot glass. It just looks better. It looks like it's like indulgence, like luxury, like you have an extra, like your cup overflows. So like him spilling that weed was like dope to me. I don't know. That that's I love that. That's amazing. I love that. That's the best. That's one of the best stories, man. I fucking love that. Much of it these days, but like that used to be a thing when you first started working there that we would prank you, like, or Peter, he would prank you, and oh man, it was crazy. It would be crazy stuff. Like, there's videos of it. Um, we get to the talk house because he told you that you'd have to help him physically move something. No one would be there, and then all of a sudden. Like, a woman would come in that's, like, gorgeous, like, drop-dead gorgeous with, like, a package that you had to deliver for him, saying, like, you had to practice, yeah, like, yeah, exactly, a package you had to deliver for him, take the package and bring it to where Peter lives, a couple roads down, it's right down the road, if you don't know the address, I'll tell you, and then you're gonna get there and just drop off the package, and you, then she just runs off, (laughs) and then you pick up the box, and it's like, here it's a completely broken glasses like it just sounds terribly broken like you wish that you never took this box off of somebody right because now it's your responsibility yeah so you're like but peter's you know he's my boss whatever and you bring it to this house and uh your directions is to just go around back to the back porch and there's a staircase just go up to the top drop it off you get up there there is another completely different woman uh lady completely naked sitting there and going oh thank you so much that's my that's i forget what it was that's my grandmother's urn or something crazy bro and tells you that oh thank you so much and you're trying to hold it steady because now you're like nervous because she's naked and you're nervous that you just heard that it's her grandmother's urn and you're trying not to shake you're trying to like hand it off without the glass sounding as soon as you hand it to her she starts like Shaking it around. It's like, oh, my God, who broke it? And then you try to tell her it's not you. And then the from there, she is now, um, dis- like, distressed, needs comfort, and is, like, coming on to you. And that reaction is all being filmed by, like, all the guys that work there. <laughs> and we're all hiding. It's the funniest shit. Back to, so, weed. All right. So, weed. So, we're smoking weed. Um... Yeah, like marijuana, like marijuana cigarettes. Yep. Uh, we were smoking a Dutch Master because we're from New York and that's what we do. We smoke Dutch Masters. I think uh, it's because I'm old. I'm like an old dude. No, no. Dutchers are the common knowledge. I just, I'm a glass. I lived in California so long that I became glass and joint guy. No, I, I respect it. It just feels the most normal. I can hold it in my hand. It burns at like at the right like pace. It's the like hits, a little cigar. But the hits but are heavier. Me. There's a hit a little bit of nicotine in there probably from the wrap maybe. And there's like a whole like rich, ritual in the uh in the making of it, the rolling it, you know. I feel I like, mean you're not toots, but no, I'm no toots. 
but I don't even like carry a grinder. Like I know everyone's got grinders and everyone's got a six setup these days. Everyone's got like a glass jar. Like I see that you have. Hold up. I do have a glass jar. Oh, you're doubling up. We're swapping uh, marijuana um, receptacles. But, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I just, my shit's still in a regular little sandwich bag, and I don't have a grinder. I buy like You're old school, baby. You're old school. You're vinyl. You're vinyl. You're vinyl. I'm digital. You're vinyl. That's all. That's all it is. But, no, I think it's dope. They're both amazing. It's so dope that it's legal now, though, because now I don't have to, like, really hide it. Isn't that amazing, the appreciative nature of New York? You know, I appreciate them. And they they took the weed legislation not just... Not just to the tip of the door. They took it kind of past through the entry there. They they said, okay, we're going to allow a certain percentage of profits or whatever, a certain amount of businesses to open, have to be a percentage of people of color. Like, they, they, they did the whole thing. Yeah, dude, I mean. Very correct they, and in they terms did of it how weed legislation like, should they, set the standard. They did it when it was kind of like, what the fuck's going on Oh, it's on taboo right now, so and they they're setting like the standard. during COVID, and you're like, all right, at least we got that going for us. And right? like That actually New York like came a, up. <laughs> you know, that kind of appeased me for just a moment. But then I got to say, I don't smoke any more or any less just because the shit changed. And That's I true, still, but now I you still, feel better about it. I feel that it's cool that it's legal, but I'm still going to support like mom and pop operations because, you know, I know where it comes from and I know like the care that the plants get and all that. Without right. getting too hippie right. about it. No, no, no. But that's and very valid. people always ask, valid. like, yo, well, you know what kind of weed you're smoking and, you know, what strain it is. But, like... So, EJ I does just, smoke weed. He does. He does do that. But... And I, I do that. And I have and for a long time. And I'm glad that now the laws kind of balance that with my ethics of it, where it's like, I don't... I don't go around and smoke weed in front of my kid. I have an 11-year-old. But... An eleven-year-old who's the man. I'm sorry, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't lie to him. I don't. He he sees the evils in the world, and marijuana is like the least of our problems. You know what I'm saying? So like it's and you it's keep it out of normal. his lifestyle, exactly. obviously. So obviously. it doesn't matter. Like it's it like a glass of wine. It's like right. Nice it's out of the reach, out of the sight. Like it's not a. It's yeah. not a thing. But there. at the right. same time, he needs to know. You know. He knows that alcohol exists. He knows that I'm a pusher of alcohol. <laughs> right. You know, like his dad's a bartender. It's everything not everything that we pay for. You know, is based on me selling alcohol, and he knows the dangers of it. Do I have any alcohol in the house? Maybe a wine bottle or two. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a big drinker. You're a big wine guy. No, I'm not. That's just about it, though. Like, wine's a very civil thing to have in the house. It's very common. I guess so. There might be like a whiskey bottle, but I have no tequila. I'm not doing shots at home. Um, Malagro. If anybody knows EJ, you know that he has fed you at least. I don't know if you're from the town. At least. (laughs) two handles of Milagro in a course of a lifetime I think it's funny to think that like that's course of a lifetime it's telling it's just like going to the doctor bro I can't tell you what other people do at my bar I'm not gonna tell you who hooked up with who who does drugs where and who buys it from who or you know whatever like if I hear it it's not going anywhere else smoke like by a park where there's kids, I wouldn't smoke. You know what I mean? Like on the sidewalk while you're walking is kind of rude because you're puffing smoke in front of everyone's face. Right. If you're it's in like front, you, if listen. you're civil about it, then there's a time and place, and uh, it's just like, oh yo, you know, I've never seen anyone being stoned and being like starting a fight. Anything, if anything, they're just walking a little too slow on the sidewalk. If I'm at the beach and there's a couple people around, there's maybe kids. Oh, the but beach is different. The I, wind no, blows no, no, that no, shit. No, 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 no. Even if they smell it, it's not uh. up to me not to smoke. It's up to you as a parent to teach your kid. Just like I told my son 
that he ain't ready for smoking weed or drinking. And those are obvious things that, you know, a parent should teach. So just because a kid could smell it or the parent could smell it, it's not time to get nervous then. It's you need to school your own kids to That's, not be affected yeah. by what's wow. what, the, you know? You're right. That's just how I feel. No, you're right. It's like if I cracked a beer at the beach and there's a family that can see me crack a beer at the beach, am I being bad? Mm-mm. Right, then the, the weed's the same thing, bro. It's the same thing. Even better. I deal with drinking. I've seen, like, what alcohol and, like, use incorrectly can do and, like, the dangers that it can hold. I'm and sure. I've Jeez. also smoked plenty of weed in my life and, you know, to excess. And I got to tell you, there's nothing, you know, like, your big difference. Is, yeah, such a big difference. Such it's a big crazy. difference. And that's what people don't understand about weed legislation a lot of the time is that like, oh, you're going to let these kids drive a car and they're going to be high on marijuana and they're, they're going to want to, bro. They're, they're going to just want to sit at home. They're going to want to sit at home and get Grubhub delivery. They're going to want to get pay more money to get delivery. It's going to be better for the economy. Yeah, no, that's why people, I don't know. <laughs> Benefits everybody. Hurts no one, right? Yeah, Old ass Uncle Joey saying that shit, you know? It's valid. But it's because, of, like, I watch, you know, drinking and then, like, you know, the drugs that follow around drinking. And, like, for us to worry about weed, like, we're talking about weed, man? We're talking about practice? practice? Exactly, bro. We're talking about weed? We're talking about weed? We're talking about practice? Weed? Yeah, so now that it's all good, I'm good, you know? It's dope. I'm good that weed's legal now. I mean, you know, I don't. I want to see the businesses stay mom and pop. I want to see everybody get, you know, paid. I want. I want to see like real homegrown people try to really make something. Dude, happen. ever since like surrounding states have legalized it, like the market, the prices have just gotten better for the consumer. Yeah, exactly. All around, Ex- all around. From the dispensary, from the moms and pops, everyone's trying to know. Just find a good level, and that level has been beneficial to the consumer. We're a pro marijuana podcast. It's pretty pretty known throughout the. Name of the podcast is highly educated. I think that was a statement enough. But for those who don't understand that that's part of the name, then that's part of the name. So I feel like I got like tricked in here with like this delicious whiskey. It's like expensive Japanese whiskey. I don't know if he was trying to like cater to me being Japanese or <laughs> what, but like that's the, actually no, but that really was that bottle was definitely the closest to me where my seat was <laughs> set up. So I, I'm gonna <laughs> assume that the Santori whiskey, Santori whiskey. Is like a plug, maybe he might be sponsored. <laughs> it was, um, and it wasn't, then, even, it wasn't no, the first like, one I offered. It's like the siren. You like it was the me. it was like the second or third option you I offered. Were, you you know, I got some good shit over there. That and it's like, oh yeah, we could smoke. And then I got <laughs> get me chatting about weed. <laughs> hey, I got some good. You know, I got a good whiskey collection. No, but the other day, the I guess I was uh, on shout the out to the people who thing. bought me all these bottles. I appreciate them all. <laughs> Gifts. Gift bottles. Shout out to bottle buyers. Shout out to bottle buyers for buying me all the bottles. I have a Knob Creek special edition. I got a Widow Jane. Got a bunch of cool shit over there. I feel like not this room looks new, but I feel the room before this would have empty bottles that somebody bought you. That's just cute. No, that's college. That's college. I did have that in college. All around my dorm room, I had empty bottles of whatever Natty Light, Tall Boy. Bullshit. Something. Oh wow! You carried beers. You like had beers. Yeah, like it didn't style. matter. When I was in, when I was nineteen, it was the coolest thing ever in the so world. Sick. I was like, so sick. yeah, I'm sick, dude. I fucking pee cans in my luggage. Yeah, I didn't go to college, so I just stayed at the bar, and we were like, "There's no way I would bring this into my room." <laughs> yeah, no. So in college, thinking- when you went into a dorm, it was like, "Hey, here's a shitty box that's 
eight by 10 and you have to split it with two other people. And uh, we're going to give you like two shelves and half a dresser and you guys figure it out. And that's kind of how it happened. Um, let's talk about your son. Let's talk about, let's talk about fatherhood. Let's talk about fatherhood. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about little Toshi, man. Let's talk about the little, little man. Yeah, well, all right. Cool. Yeah. He's 11 now. 11 uh, guys. He's 11 years old. Yeah. Uh, I was called on Saturday night or busy night that my wife at the time was going into labor and went straight to the hospital. Oh man. And I was already like, it was a Saturday night. So that means that Friday I was up up late working and then at the time my wife was pregnant so I was probably up a little earlier than normal you know because I wasn't getting much rest so I was dead by the time I was getting out to the hospital right. long labor Toast. oh man it was the most exhausted like I've, after sh- in the uh, middle mid obviously yo for, but as I say that wait I'm right sorry, as sorry. I say that the other big, side <laughs> big, big up to uh, my ex-wife right. because yeah, she was the one actually giving the birth right I, she, as tired eyes as I was I was not Pushing a nine-pound baby. He was a big boy, so. Big boy. Yeah. Is he taller than me already? Yeah, I think he might be about your height. He's about to get taller than me. He got big-ass feet. He's like, ugh. But he's cool as shit. He's awesome. He's a good kid. Does good in studies. But, you know, it has, it's being a single dad and then working at the bar late at night and stuff, it's like how did how did you manage that? Did you did you did you was it really difficult to kind of manage both and and how did you kind of deal with it during you know times where you know it was crazy busy summer or like busy holidays or like how how do you manage it in the busiest times? I had a good support group, you know, like whether it's um, a mother, good friends and stuff like that, or my girlfriend at the time. Or my current girlfriend, you know, like everybody was helpful, right? So no the nights who. that I was, you know, like whoever was around me was always good with, good with, you know, helping me with the times that I couldn't do it, which wasn't that much though, because I was, you know, trying to. You were handling, but, yeah, but yeah. like my mother was definitely, you know, the nights I would drop them off, eight o'clock before my shift. How did your mother get involved with Talk House? Can we talk about this? Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, no, I mean. That, you know what? If we go into that, it's going to take way too long, bro. Because <laughs> then it's going to have to go into like my... Yeah. Oh, you but were talking about how when you were 18 or 20, you know, <laughs> dressing a 8 by 10 room with another guy and decorating it with beer cans and such. I, because I fucked up in high school and was on like a fucking stu- one night stupid bender, breaking into people's shit, got, I got arrested, right? So I spent like four months in Riverhead. Or three months in Riverhead. Three months in in Riverhead. (laughs) One month in Yapping. It wasn't crazy. It's a a, a community, you know, it's a county correctional facility. I fucked up, you know, so that that was my punishment. I did that, but it was literally not an 8x10, but a smaller space with nothing to decorate with. I wish I could have Martha Stewart in that shit, but I could not. But, yeah, so when I got out of there, uh, like, I needed to hustle some money. And no, no, no. At the time, my mother was living in Japan. So she... Your mom was in Japan. Yeah, I was solo out here. You were solo out here? Yeah. In the beginning? Yeah, at 18, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And just talk house, chef, making raps. Yeah. Crushing it. But 
That's after I got in trouble. Big dick rapping. That's after I got in trouble. I got in trouble when I was like 17, early 17. Mm. So I had to get a job because I was like, I knew if I was going to need a lawyer and shit, it was quite crazy. I don't talk about this because it's, you know, I, I grew it. It was obviously like, it was literally like being a kid, being an idiot, like joyriding. But everybody does no, that. No, literally Everybody's like, a kid is you know, Literally like the movie you see with like kids joyriding a car. That was me. But like, we got caught. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> what it was. I fucking... I put a BMW. In it was Bronx Tale. I you drove, guys got I, dro- I drove a BMW that I had taken, took, a, took for a joyride with two other friends to New York City. We brought it back because we needed to get back. And we drove it into Three Mile Harbor. Crazy. And, you know, I'm you not glorifying it anyway. Not glorifying. It was the stupidest thing I could have ever done. It was you're already admitted. Dumbass, guilt, guilt dumbass, admitted. You're already, you're already, you're already acquitted. Like, just like wilding out. I had no supervision. We all, we all did it. Wow, we no. all did it. Anyway. Well, not that. So, got yeah. arrested. Knew I was going to go to jail. And while I was in jail, my mother could not be, felt so horrible that she was not around. And moved from Japan. Well, she had like a good job, whatever. Moved to Japan to just be able to be close enough to jail to come visit me twice a week. When they Get were the fuck again. out of here. And when she came here, she's like a college graduate, like has like a huge business in Japan, whatever, but came here. Nothing to do. Peter set her up with some like cleaning jobs and that. Summertime, she would sell some hot dogs, sell shumai dumplings to like finance that shit. And then I got out of jail and the money was still good. And she wasn't like, there was no, she couldn't speak English if she couldn't get a job. So she was just kept doing that for a couple of years until she got on her feet out here. So she's like, you know, first generation immigrant. Legendary. It's like people wouldn't think that because I speak English like the way they would want me to or whatever. But like, but that's wild, but that's not. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I came over here in like third grade. I was born in Hawaii, but I moved back to Japan most of my like, you know, I went pre-K, first, second, third in Japan. Where in Japan? Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. Oh. But so, you know, I'm first straight immigrant, you know what I mean? Straight immigrant yeah. and came out. Just happened and, to be a citizen. <laughs> and that's what, right. And that's what, but that's what I love about the whole story is like that. That's what America is, yes. man. Like you are literally a blend of America. Literally you are, mother, you're, you're like more American than any of us. I don't like know you're, about that. nah, but that's like, that's, to me, that's what America is, man. That's, that's the blend of culture. That's the blend. It's the melting pot. It's how we got here. It's how we get here. It's how we're going to continue to go. I feel like it's the, that's it. Like it should all be that. That's why I liked history so much. Don't That's why I love this. a given tree, man. They were always helpful with like everything going on, whether it was like my legal troubles, <clears throat> my mom. Talkhouse was the segue back into it all. Yeah, always. And met my and first wife there, current girlfriend, everything. Talkhouse has been the, the way of life for for a lot of people. I feel like a good group of us. I feel like a lot of people have probably met their significant other or met their spouse or met I, their I know I got some kids out there, which means like I got you know, I got their parents drunk at the bar. <laughs> and then that night And then conceived. that's not right. Yeah, nine hey. months from having Who do you think? Nine, Who do you think uh, predictions? No, chill, chill, do you know chill, chill, chill. I, they they know <laughs> they they know and let me know. I have a list of them. <laughs> He's got a list. I got mad children. It's on his iPhone. There. He's got a list. Yeah. They know. I'm not I'm I'm just kidding. They know. They know. No, but it's cool though. One day, maybe, uh, no, I hope I'm not serving them. Chill. My kids? No, I can't be serving kids that were conceived because I got their parents drunk. That would be, I want to be doing something else by then. Damn, <laughs> that'd be the craziest time warp. You'd be yeah. an asshole. Is it maybe my parents? I, I don't know. Can I get saltier? I don't know. Same against it. You're right there. It's like a half a mile from the salt. 
I'm just getting saltier every year. You're getting. You're just gonna turn into that guy. No, like, it's so and, great though, because like no one expects me to be a mixologist. I like literally get beers and make like single wait. mix cocktails, pour <laughs> shots straight into a glass. Maybe I make like like some girls like party drinks, whatever. I know how to make the other shit. I've worked at other places and I know how to make like. I res- I guess I respect that whole mixology culture and being like I'm a bartender, Stop. but I think. Like, when I tell somebody that I'm a bartender, they're like, maybe you can make me a drink for my party. I'm like, I don't think you understand what kind of bartender I am. I'm not that kind of bartender. <laughs> like, like, I a- pour out 75 Bud Lights and 4,000 shots of Milagro in two hours. Yeah, like, I just imagine, like, a trough. <laughs> <laughs> I still make margaritas. But at, when I love when someone asks me for a Long Island that it's stuff like a kid or whatever no other bartenders hate this shit they, they're like oh i hate when they come up and ask me for a long island i'm like no let me make them they're asking me that they want to get wasted so if you're asking me for a long island i'm gonna make you a long island it's gonna have all the clear liquors in my rack it's gonna have you know sour mix is dull to taste it's gonna have shake it up in front of you drop the coke make it look super cool charge you a fucking shitload of money but Make you those Long Islands so they kick your ass. <laughs> so much so that the next time you come around, you're not going to ask me for a Long Island because they <laughs> kicked your ass. Like, somebody's got to school these people. When You know, the reason there's people asking me asking you for Long Islands, it's not because it tastes good. It's because they want to get fucked up. And let's fuck them up so that they don't have to come back <laughs> and ask for a Long Island. I'm just <laughs> I'll make that shit delicious, though, so that you don't even think it's a Long Island. And then KO most impressionable drinkers and i'm not trying to be give them salt and just be grumpy because they asked for a long island i'll make fun of them for asking making a long island or whatever but i'll make it good i'm a i'm not a long island guy i'm a big I'm, you know me i don't really do a big shot thing at the talk house i'm more of like a beer let me get drunk off some beer i'll have an occasional shot you know, I'm not a, I'm not a wasted guy. You know, I'm a stoner. I'm a big big pot guy, big pot POD. That said, I've seen you probably at your drunkest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's funny, it's, it's funny walking around and seeing people that like you've seen blackout and shit themselves before. You know, yep, seen, but then again, I got to think to myself that like they've seen me that way. <laughs> you know, blacking out's crazy though, right? Have you seen? Have you have you no. been in the other? Have you been in the other chair? Like, have you, dude? I, dude, at bars all the time, like local I, no, bars. No, like, you've just, been in, in the other. Whatever seat? energy that it takes to get somebody fucked up, just imagine that I have. It goes through me to do, and like it hurts me the same. Like I'm right. losing myself each time. You're like, like Voldemort, dude. It hurt. Yeah, dude. That energy <laughs> it comes from like somewhere. Voldemort. So like, when I'm like, <laughs> if you go home and you're like, oh, dude, EJ fucked me up, and then you think back, like, how did that happen? It's like we had a conversation, and then this and that. He was really busy didn't know how to like he was being he didn't know how to end the conversation this is what actually happens usually it's like i didn't know how to end the conversation so i'm like hey you want to do a shot pour them a shot and we do a shot and then i'm like okay so i can get to the next customer and then that person maybe we do that again two times in a night next next time they come in like oh you fucked me up just know that like i fucked myself up too i did two shots with you like next day i was not feeling good but I did that because for the sake of, like, being cordial, for the sake of hospitality, tradition, and the fact that, yo, this is now a ritual that we do. So that's how, like, how it starts. And then the, every time I see them, we're doing a shot. That's and how I, tips should form in as well. Whatever about the tips. No, but that's I'm not going to get crazy about money about that. But imagine having even 5, 10, 15, 
20 people a night who you have a ritual with when they come in to do shots that like when you say no they're gonna be like oh come on you know it's it's that's the peer pressure that i've created for myself and it's like it's it's (laughs) (laughs) you have to do it now you can't turn back it's over as I got older, I'm getting better at saying no and you know managing my night. I feel like and, the you know, John like, Cena theme song should come in right here. Like that's the perfect. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. But that's Fridays and Saturdays when I don't I don't have you know my son and uh, he's with his mom, so I don't have to worry about right. You know, and I can Uber home and you don't have to be safe. the weekender, right? But they'll get me. Yeah, man. For every hangover you got, I got one right with you. Yeah, you're that, not doing and, it alone. That's, you're not doing it alone. I'm with you. You know that's the bo- <sighs> that's the statement. That's the statement right there. With with every hang, you're not doing it alone. You really are. You're doing it with the bartender that you've been accustomed. <laughs> On a busy night, it's different when you're like solo. Some guy comes in, he's watching the game, and he asks for a beer and a shot. I'm not talking about that. Right, right. We're talking yeah. about yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know. Yeah. Well, shit, man. I mean, this has been great. We've had a good, great dialogue. We've had a good convo. It's been an hour and seventeen minutes. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. More, I appreciate the stories. Did more f- nice whiskey and more weed. I'll just sit here and chat anytime you want. Anytime. I'm down for that. I'm down to get the whole conversation going. I think we're going to have a talk house segment at some point. Don't quote me on that, but we have to get something going. There's got to be some formulation. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. You're a legend. You're the man. The stories are endless. We're going to get you back on. We're going to we're gonna have a good time. It's Thanks for nice. the compliments and... Uh, and good luck with uh, all the podcasts you do in the future. Hope that uh, I don't come off sound like an idiot. I don't know why you're talking to me. I'm not even that cool. No, you way uh, cool. Talk to you next time. You're way fucking cool. <laughs> the coolest. You're the coolest. You're the coolest.